of all the gifts you have shared with us. We have chosen this portion of our life and our time to dedicate to the ministry of this church in our communities and in our outreach to the world. Make us aware of those in need at our doors as well as the ones who are lost and who long for the bread of life. This we pray in the name of our living and loving God. Amen. And you may be seated. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the letter to the church in Ephesus. I have returned to the book of Ephesians several times throughout this summer, and these are some of the final words in that letter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As for shoes, as for shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in the supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. And will you pray with me? God of truth, whose reality is far beyond the religion we profess and whose ways are broader than our limited human understanding, we long to worship you above all else and witness your transforming presence within us, that we might become doers of the word who offer healing to the world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. We listened for the Word of God in two texts this morning. The first, from the book of Joshua, is such a dramatic moment in the life of the Hebrew people. Joshua publicly asks them, are you in or are you out? He wants to make their commitment public. Will they serve the Lord or will they serve these other gods? 
Joshua speaks words that have made their way onto a great deal of wall art available at our local Hobby Lobby. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. The second text we read is also quite well known with its vivid imagery about putting on the armor of God. At first glance, it might seem that these two passages are a bit passe. I mean, show of hands, when's the last time anyone here made a burnt offering to a pagan god? And who in this modern era of pluralism and interfaith dialogue is going to show up outfitted for holy war? Surely such militaristic Christianity is the stuff of the crusade, not a relevant teaching for today. Thank goodness we are here for more than just a first quick glance. Taking a closer look at the passage from Joshua, one thing that stands out to me is that everybody's favorite line is about what we will do. We shall serve the Lord. This is all well and good. I love a heartfelt and faithful intention. But when we take that verse out of context and focus solely on our own actions, our own intentions, we lose sight of God's action. Before the Israelites make their covenant to serve God, they recount all of the things God has done for them. God delivered them from slavery, protected them in the wilderness, and led them into a land of their own. After, of course, those pesky Amorites got out of the way. In light of God's remarkable, and in some cases, miraculous action on their behalf, the people cannot help but want to be loyal and faithful servants. So here's my first tricky question. What has God done for you lately? And I don't mean this as a rhetorical statement. I wonder what we might include if we were asked to make a list of the ways that God has acted in the world, acted in our lives. And here's my first tricky truth. Many of us in this era that is increasingly referred to as the secular age may in fact struggle to do that. We are in fact susceptible to forsaking the Lord and serving other gods. Now, some of these gods are as old as the hills. The god of money, for instance, always a favorite. The god of power. We might say even the god of freedom. But there is a new God in town, a God that is not of our ancestors, but of our own time. And this God even has his own religion. Researchers call it moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic because this God wants me to be nice, to behave. Therapeutic, because above all else, this God wants me to be happy. Sounds good so far. 
and deism because this God made the world and then left it alone. This God has not done anything for you lately. This God has not done anything at all lately. Many people are faithful followers of this God and don't even realize it. The problem is this God of moralistic, therapeutic deism has very little in common with the God of Israel. This God has very little in com common with the God of Israel made flesh in Jesus Christ. You see, in moralistic, therapeutic deism, there's no transcendence. There's no sense that God is personal. No sense that God is acting in the world. Moralistic, therapeutic deism and this inactive, secular God it sort of worships is all too common in our culture. Indeed, some pastoral theologians argue that it's even replaced Christianity in many contemporary churches. So to circle back around to that tricky truth, the reason that moralistic therapeutic deism flourishes in our culture, and perhaps even in our church, is because in many ways it is more believable than the God revealed in sacred scripture. After all, the God revealed in sacred scripture is transcendent. This God creates the world with words. This God parts, sees, establishes covenants, equips prophets, and sends angels. This God loves the world so much that this God gave his only son, which is to say that this God is not only transcendent, this God is also imminent. The God revealed in sacred scripture is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ who ministers to everyone he encounters. The God revealed in sacred scripture calls people to follow that way of Christ, loving and serving as he loves and serves. This God demonstrates that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death. This God fully comprehends how desperately we need an advocate, a presence with us. And so our resurrected Lord exhales a Holy Spirit upon the church. This means that no matter the depth of our fear or the height of our anxiety, God is with us until the end of the age. As for me and my household, that is the living God I want to know and to love and to serve. The false god of moralistic therapeutic deism does not have the transcendence to inspire us to awe. The false god does not have the imminence to bring us comfort in the midst of profoundly difficult days. The false god does not have the authority to judge our foolishness or forgive our sins. The false god does not have a son who poured out his very life to restore us to a life that is abundant and everlasting. The false god of moralistic therapeutic deism leaves us defenseless when we falter and fail, when tragedy strikes, when hopes are dashed. 
it's very easy to stop believing in the God of moralistic, therapeutic deism when we are failing, when there is tragedy, when despair is encroaching. Every time we gather to worship, we close our time together with a sung blessing. It is a song of praise, not to any of the false gods vying for our attention, but a song of praise to the living God revealed in sacred scripture. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense, and he will be my savior. We send ourselves out with these words because that's the God that we want to be in relationship with. That is the God that we want to believe in, to follow, to trust. This is a God who loves his people, a God who acts in the world, a God who protects the vulnerable, and this is a God who draws us into lives of love and action and protection of the vulnerable. And this God extends to us even now the armor we need to navigate this moment, the tools we need to be strong in the Lord. Receiving these gifts is not a matter of adopting some wrong-headed, arrogant, violent ideology. Receiving these gifts is about accepting our calling to love and serve in the footsteps of Jesus. We do live in a world that feels under siege. I have lost count of how many people have expressed to me in the last weeks that the darkness and despair seem to be encroaching from all sides. Never in my lifetime has the need for a savior been more palpable. And who can deliver us from the present darkness but the God who delivered the Israelites from slavery, the God who delivered Jesus from the grave? Take what is offered, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that will make you ready to proclaim the very good news of God's peace. Take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, even the sword of the Spirit. It is, after all, a sword that brings life, not death. Above all, receive the gift of Paul's precious reminder to pray in the Spirit without ceasing. Surely it is God who saves us. Shall we trust in him and not be afraid? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen. <laughs>